0: Book One, Chapters Seven and Eight. Les Miserables, Volume Five. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Les Miserables, Volume Five by Victor Hugo, Translated by Isabelle Florence Hapgood. Book the First The War Between Four Walls. Chapter Seven. THE SITUATION BECOMES AGGRAVATED. THE DAYLIGHT WAS INCREASING RAPIDLY. NOT A WINDOW WAS OPENED. NOT A DOOR STOOD AJAR. IT WAS THE DAWN, BUT NOT THE AWAKING. THE END OF THE RUE DE LA CHANVRERIE, OPPOSITE THE BARRICADE, HAD BEEN EVACUATED BY THE TROOPS, AS WE HAVE STATED IT, SEEMED TO BE FREE, AND PRESENTED ITSELF TO PASSERS-BY WITH A SINISTER TRANQUILITY the rue saint-denis was as dumb as the avenue of the sphinx at thebes not a living being in the crossroads which gleamed white in the light of the sun nothing is so mournful as this light in deserted streets nothing was to be seen but there was something to be heard a mysterious movement was going on at a certain distance It was evident that the critical moment was approaching. As on the previous evening, the sentinels had come in, but this time all had come. The barricade was stronger than on the occasion of the first attack. Since the departure of the five, they had increased its height still further. On the advice of the sentinel, who had examined the region of Léal, Enjolras, for fear of a surprise in the rear, came to a serious decision. He had the small gut of the mont lane, which had been left open up to that time, barricaded. For this purpose they tore up the pavement for the length of several houses more. In this manner, the barricade, walled on three streets in front on the rue de la Chanvrerie, to the left on the rue du Signe, and de la Petite trouanderie and to the right on the rue Mont-de-Tour, was really almost impregnable. It is true that they were fatally hemmed in there. It had three fronts but no exit. "'A fortress but a rat hole, too,' said Courferac, with a laugh. "'Enjolras had about thirty paving stones torn up in excess,' said Bossuet, "'piled up near the door of the wine-shop. "'The silence was now so profound in the quarter whence the attack must needs come "'that Enjolras had each man resume his post of battle. "'An allowance of brandy was doled out to each.' Nothing is more curious than a barricade preparing for an assault. Each man selects his place as though at the theater. They jostle and elbow and crowd each other. There are some who make stalls of paving stones. Here is a corner of the wall which is in the way, it is removed. Here is a redan which may afford protection, they take shelter behind it. LEFT-HANDED MEN ARE PRECIOUS, THEY TAKE THE PLACES THAT ARE INCONVENIENT TO THE REST. MANY ARRANGE TO FIGHT IN A SITTING POSTURE. THEY WISH TO BE AT EASE TO KILL AND TO DIE COMFORTABLY. IN THE SAD WAR OF JUNE 1848, AN INSURGENT WHO WAS A FORMIDABLE MARKSMAN AND WHO WAS FIRING FROM THE TOP OF A TERRACE UPON A ROOF HAD A RECLINING CHAIR BROUGHT THERE FOR HIS USE. A charge of grapeshot found him out there. As soon as the leader has given the order to clear the decks for action, all disorderly movements cease. There is no more pulling from one another. There are no more coteries, no more asides. There is no more holding aloof. Everything in their spirits converges in and changes into a waiting for the assailants. A barricade before the arrival of danger is chaos. In danger, it is discipline itself. Peril produces order. As soon as Enjolras had seized his double-barreled rifle and had placed himself in a sort of embrasure which he had reserved for himself, all the rest held their peace. A series of faint, sharp noises resounded confusedly along the wall of paving stones. It was the men cocking their guns. Moreover, their attitudes were prouder, more confident than ever. The excess of sacrifice strengthens. They no longer cherished any hope, but they had despair, despair, the last weapon which sometimes gives victory— VIRGIL HAS SAID SO. SUPREME RESOURCES SPRING FROM EXTREME RESOLUTIONS. TO EMBARK IN DEATH IS SOMETIMES THE MEANS OF ESCAPING A SHIPWRECK, AND THE LID OF THE COFFIN BECOMES A PLANK OF SAFETY. AS ON THE PRECEDING EVENING THE ATTENTION OF ALL WAS DIRECTED, WE MIGHT ALMOST SAY LEANED UPON THE END OF THE STREET, NOW LIGHTED UP AND VISIBLE. THEY HAD NOT LONG TO WAIT. "'A stir began distinctly in the saint le quarter, "'But it did not resemble the movement of the first attack. "'A clashing of chains, the uneasy jolting of a mass, "'the click of brass skipping along the pavement, "'a sort of solemn uproar announced "'that some sinister construction of iron was approaching. "'There arose a tremor in the bosoms of these peaceful old streets,' pierced and built for the fertile circulation of interests and ideas, and which are not made for the horrible rumble of the wheels of war. The fixity of eye in all the combatants upon the extremity of the street became ferocious. A cannon made its appearance. Artillery men were pushing the piece. It was in firing trim. The forecarriage had been detached Two upheld the gun carriage. Four were at the wheels. Others followed with the caisson. They could see the smoke of the burning lintstock. Fire! shouted Enjolras. The whole barricade fired. The report was terrible. An avalanche of smoke covered and effaced both cannon and men. After a few seconds, the cloud dispersed, and the cannon and men reappeared. The gun crew had just finished rolling it slowly, correctly, without haste, into position facing the barricade. Not one of them had been struck. Then the captain of the piece, bearing down upon the breech in order to raise the muzzle, began to point the cannon with the gravity of an astronomer leveling a telescope. Bravo for the cannoneers, cried Bossuet and the whole barricade clapped their hands. A moment later, squarely planted in the very middle of the street, astride of the gutter, the piece was ready for action. A formidable pair of jaws yawned on the barricade. Come, merrily now, ejaculated Courfeyrac. That's the brutal part of it. After the fill on the nose, the blow from the fist. The army is reaching out its big paw to us. The barricade is going to be severely shaken up. The fusillade tries, the cannon takes. It is a piece of eight, new model, brass, added Combeferre, Those pieces are liable to burst as soon as the proportion of ten parts of tin to one hundred of brass is exceeded. THE EXCESS OF TIN RENDERS THEM TOO TENDER. THEN IT COMES TO PASS THAT THEY HAVE CAVES AND CHAMBERS WHEN LOOKED AT FROM THE VENT HOLE. IN ORDER TO OBVIATE THIS DANGER AND TO RENDER IT POSSIBLE TO FORCE THE CHARGE, IT MAY BECOME NECESSARY TO RETURN TO THE PROCESS OF THE 14TH CENTURY, HOOPING, AND TO ENCIRCLE THE PIECE ON THE OUTSIDE WITH A SERIES OF UNWELDED STEEL BANDS, FROM THE breech TO THE trunnions. In the meantime, they remedy this defect as best they may. They manage to discover where the holes are located in the vent of a cannon by means of a searcher. But there is a better method with Griboval's movable star. In the 16th century, remarked Bossuet, they used to rifle cannon. Yes, replied Combeferre that augments the projectile force but diminishes the accuracy of the firing in firing at short range the trajectory is not as rigid as could be desired the parabola is exaggerated the line of the projectile is no longer sufficiently rectilinear to allow of its striking intervening objects which is nevertheless a necessity of battle the importance of which increases with the proximity of the enemy and the precipitation of the discharge. This defect of the tension of the curve of the projectile in the rifled cannon of the 16th century arose from the smallness of the charge. Small charges for that sort of engine are imposed by the ballistic necessities, such, for instance, as the preservation of the gun carriage. In short, that despot, the cannon, cannot do all that it desires. Force is a great weakness. A cannonball only travels six hundred leagues an hour. Light travels seventy thousand leagues a second. Such is the superiority of Jesus Christ over Napoleon. Reload your guns, said Enjolras. How was the casing of the barricade going to behave under the cannonballs? would they effect a breach? That was the question. While the insurgents were reloading their guns, the artillerymen were loading the cannon. The anxiety in the redoubt was profound. The shot sped the report burst forth. Present, shouted a joyous voice, and Gavroche flung himself into the barricade just as the ball dashed against it. He came from the direction of the Rue du Signes, and he had nimbly climbed over the auxiliary barricade which fronted on the labyrinth of the Rue de la Petite Troinderie. Gavroche produced a greater sensation in the barricade than the cannonball. The ball buried itself in the mass of rubbish. At the most, there was an omnibus wheel broken, and the old Anceau cart was demolished. "'On seeing this, the barricade burst into a laugh. "'Go on!' shouted Bossuet to the artillerists. "'Chapter 8. The Artillery Men Compel People to Take Them Seriously "'They flocked around Gavroche, but he had no time to tell anything. Marius drew him aside with a shudder. "'What are you doing here?' "'Hello,' said the child. "'What are you doing here yourself?' and he stared at Marius intently with his epic effrontery. His eyes grew larger with the proud light within them. It was with an accent of severity that Marius continued, Who told you to come back? Did you deliver my letter at the address? Gavroche was not without some compunctions in the matter of that letter. In his haste to return to the barricade, he had got rid of it rather than delivered it he was forced to acknowledge to himself that he had confided it rather lightly to that stranger whose face he had not been able to make out. It is true that the man was bareheaded, but that was not sufficient. In short, he had been administering to himself little inward remonstrances, and he feared Marius's reproaches. In order to extricate himself from the predicament, He took the simplest course. He lied abominably. Citizen, I delivered the letter to the porter. The lady was asleep. She will have the letter when she wakes up. Mahus had had two objects in sending that letter, to bid farewell to Cosette and to save Gavroche. He was obliged to content himself with the half of his desire. The dispatch of his letter and the presence of M. Fauchelevent in the barricade was a coincidence which occurred to him. He pointed out M. Fauchelevent to Gavroche. Do you know that man? No, said Gavroche. Gavroche had, in fact, as we have just mentioned, seen Jean Valjean only at night. The troubled and unhealthy conjectures which had outlined themselves in Marius's mind were dissipated. Did he know M. Fauchelevent's opinions? Perhaps M. Fauchelevent was a Republican, hence his very natural presence in this combat. In the meanwhile, Gavroche was shouting at the other end of the barricade, My gun! Courfeyrac had it returned to him. Gavroche warned his comrades, as he called them, that the barricade was blocked. He had had great difficulty in reaching it. A battalion of the line, whose arms were piled in the Rue de la Petite Troanderie, was on the watch on the side of the Rue du Signe. On the opposite side, the municipal guard occupied the Rue des Precheurs. The bulk of the army was facing them in front. This information given, Gavroche added, "'I authorize you to hit him a tremendous whack.' Meanwhile, Enjolras was straining his ears and watching at his embrasure. The assailants, dissatisfied no doubt with their shot, had not repeated it. A company of infantry of the line had come up and occupied the end of the street behind the piece of ordnance. The soldiers were tearing up the pavement and constructing with the stones a small low wall, a sort of side-work, not more than eighteen inches high, and facing the barricade. In the angle at the left of this épaulement, there was visible the head of the column of a battalion from the suburbs, massed in the rue Saint-Denis. Enjolras, on the watch, thought he distinguished the peculiar sound which is produced when the shells of grape-shot are drawn from the caissons, and he saw the commander of the piece change the elevation, and inclined the mouth of the cannon slightly to the left. Then the cannoneers began to load the piece. The chief seized the lintstock himself and lowered it to the vent. "'Down with your heads! Hug the wall!' shouted Enjolras. "'And all on your knees along the barricade!' The insurgents, who were straggling in front of the wine-shop and who had quitted their posts of combat on Gavroche's arrival, rushed pell-mell towards the barricade, but before Enjolras's order could be executed, the discharge took place with the terrifying rattle of a round of grape-shot. This is what it was, in fact. The charge had been aimed at the cut in the redoubt, and had there rebounded from the wall, and this terrible rebound had produced two dead and three wounded. If this were continued, the barricade was no longer tenable. The grape-shot made its way in. A murmur of consternation arose. "'Let us prevent the second discharge,' said Enjolras. And lowering his rifle, he took aim at the captain of the gun, who at that moment was bearing down on the breech of his gun and rectifying and definitely fixing its pointing.' The captain of the peace was a handsome sergeant of artillery, very young, blonde, with a very gentle face, and the intelligent air peculiar to that predestined and redoubtable weapon which, by dint of perfecting itself in horror, must end in killing war. Combeferre, who was standing beside Enjolras, scrutinized this young man. What a pity, said Combeferre. what hideous things these butcheries are. "'Come, when there are no more kings, there will be no more war. "'Enjolras, you are taking aim at that sergeant. "'You are not looking at him. "'Fancy, he is a charming young man. "'He is intrepid. "'It is evident that he is thoughtful. "'Those young artillerymen are very well-educated. "'He has a father, a mother, a family. "'He's probably in love. "'He's not more than five and twenty at the most. "'He might be your brother.' ''He is,'' said Enjolras. ''Yes,'' replied Combefer, ''he is mine too. ''Well, let us not kill him. ''Let me alone, it must be done.'' And a tear trickled slowly down Enjolras' marble cheek. At the same moment he pressed the trigger of his rifle. The flame leaped forth. The artilleryman turned around twice, his arms extended in front of him, his head uplifted as though for breath. Then he fell with his side on the gun and lay there motionless. They could see his back from the center of which there flowed directly a stream of blood. The ball had transversed his breast from side to side. He was dead. He had to be carried away and replaced by another. Several minutes were thus gained, in fact. End of Book 1, Chapters 7 and 8